Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, picking it up this week. For episode 100 is the NWO themselves. We got Lachlan Conway, Scott Hall, and Declan Moody, Kevin Nash, and me. I guess that would make me Big Papa Pump. The, the largest arms in the South Australian professional wrestling scene. I understand none of these WWE. Look, get with the times, Conway. And by times, I mean late 90s pro wrestling irrelevancy. Like, this is what you have to understand. I want to know who our Eric Bischoff is. Oh, fuck. That's who I wanted to know. <laughs> well, I mean, Miles is clearly Hogan. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be Hogan. And Adam's the giant. Adam's the giant. Great Has himself. to be. But yeah, I mean, look, super happy to have you guys here. I want to jump straight into a whole bunch of stuff. I've got so many questions to ask you. Uh, I will note just before, uh, we had the podcast that happened before the podcast, so we got all of that out of the way just to make sure we don't get cancelled for the actual podcast. And I apologize because there were, there were some gems in there that may never come to a, a full-on broadcast, but I'm, I'm happy to have heard them through my own ears. What were we just talking about Kelly Instinct, the video game? Yeah, there's a cool story that goes on there. <laughs> <laughs> But um, let's kick it off. Fusion, you both went there. Conway slapped the shit out of someone. It was pretty awesome. What was the experience like? It it was, uh, yeah, Lockie, Lockie stresses me out more than anyone. <laughs> so first of all, we get to, well, I get to Melbourne, have an altercation with the taxi driver. <laughs> you caught we, a taxi? We, we won't. Go into that one. The real fight was... Uh, uh, In the car park of the Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We, uh, we get there. Lockie doesn't have a mouth guard. Because he doesn't wear one? For or? a combat jiu-jitsu. No, I left in Adelaide. Yeah. So that increases the stress levels immediately to rebel sport, running around. Finally get to the event. And then, um, yeah, Lockie's warming up. He's sharp, super, super ready to go. And then decides to slap me in the face. <laughs> Twice. Twice. No warning. I heard it was the other way around then. No. Oh, the, the receipt. <laughs> the receipt that was heard around the change room. Oh, fuck. Stopped the whole room. Everyone's looking being like, are those guys okay? They thought we were prepare. actually fighting. This is how you prepare for a combat jiu-jitsu match. I'm not sure if anyone's realized that yet. That was definitely the worst hit that I took about that. <laughs> he uh, cracked me so hard with a downward slap in the ear. That I went deaf for about 30 seconds to a minute. I couldn't hear anything. My jaw was aching. I'm like, cool. I instantly regret being cheeky and like slapping him upwards twice just for fun while he wasn't expecting it. It was the shit-eating grin he had on his face. Oh, the, the one he has now. No <laughs> man can slap me and smile at me like that, you know. It has to be, it has to be replied. At least not twice. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, you were the one dishing out the slaps in the actual match itself, man. Uh, comes out, pulls guard immediately, which mm-hmm. is just critical error number one uh, in a combat jujitsu match. So, do we do we say the part we throw this person in the in the burner about how I knew that was going to happen? Oh, oh no! Sure. So, so I'm, in the, I'm in the toilet and I like 
have to take like we are just let's just say I'm in the toilet and someone's like are you like Conway I'm like yeah yeah I am it's like you don't look like him because on the on the poster you had like a moustache and short hair I'm like yeah I've shaved that and stuff and he he's pretty, like a few of them are pretty drunk and they're like yeah yeah I, I, I know Jonathan like I train with him he's gonna jump guard and try an arm bike oh my god and I'm like alright maybe I'll take that with a grain of salt you know trying to like uh, get me thinking of the opposite strategy that he's gonna employ so I go back and tell Declan I'm like I just heard that he's probably going to jump guard and just like, you know, go for arm bars. And Deccan's like, you know, don't listen to it. Like, you know, they're probably just trying to mess you up by going in with like a different strategy. Maybe you'd be going about it, like thinking he's going to jump guard instead of having a wrestling base. And then within like 20 seconds, he jumped guard. So I was definitely prepared for that. Definitely thought that was going to happen. Peter Dabin Jiu-Jitsu 100%. No, no, no. Listen, man. Who is this guy? Who yeah, told I'm not, not going to throw you under the bus, but you know, you had, you've had 10, 15 beers. Maybe you hit the wrong... <laughs> why would, why would you do that, that man? Uh, but yeah, uh, the strategy originally was, uh, if I end up in this clothes guy, he's got a... He's really good. Like, um, John, I've seen Jonathan compete. Yeah. Uh, I've seen his accolades. Amazing grappler, uh, deadly close guard, deadly armbar as well. Uh, so the original plan was to you know be conservative in the close guard, use proper jujitsu to start like you know passing, get dominant positions. Uh, not really go for them hits because that's obviously going to leave your arm exposed to mm-hmm. started to get arm dragged, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And but then about a minute in, I threw one shot and it connected, and Declan just kind of yelled out, "Change the strategy. We're going for hits and yeah. only hits." Oh, so, that's a good read because you could there's see There's a look yeah. in someone's eyes when you can tell they haven't been hit before. Exactly. You know? And we spoke and the about reaction. it before as well. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not like you're going to go in there against an MMA guy who's used to being struck. It's more likely if you're taking a jiu-jitsu match, combat jiu-jitsu match, that they're going to be a jiu-jitsu guy who maybe hasn't gone through that ringer yet. Yeah. I, as soon as we saw that, it was uh, it was all Conway's, Conway's way yeah. from there. So we, I just was trying to lay a lot of like straights more than anything because like the side would slaps they're fun and they make a bit of noise but they don't really do much it's the straight uh sort of palm strikes going down that do the most damage so i was trying to lay those out as much as i could um i use it he tried to get up at one point so i went for like a leg drag but obviously you can hit so as i leg drag i palm struck him in the face which made him turn around went for the back really good back defense um i didn't notice at the time i didn't realize why i didn't get the back because I usually am pretty good from that position, but he got an arm wrap around my hip. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, he, he ducked the out. shoulder to bring the arm inside. So the the regular style back takes, you're going to fall off the top, which, which I believe is what happened. Yeah, which is really good because I, as I was going for the back, I hit him really hard, which is what got him to turn. So after getting hit, he immediately applied a defense. So yeah, hats yeah. off. And once again, highlighting his high level of jujitsu. So I fell off the back and ended up on bottom. I'm like, oh, don't want to be here half guard um but then he postured up trying to hit me and i used that to get the space to immediately go to octopus guard to get the pass and to get the sweep and then keep trying to lay shots down from the top yeah and he stayed on top from that moment onwards and he also had a really good read on the cage as well i think meso had uh, like a match before or maybe Mm -hmm. a match after i think it was a match before he just hit an armbar off the cage because once your head smashed against the cage, you've really only got one way to angle. And also from the defensive perspective, you've only really got two ways to defend. You're either going to go up or back. So, yeah, you didn't you didn't fall into that trap of trying to utilize the cage too much, especially considering he didn't unlock his guard and try and frame a post and stand or have any of the instinct to do that. He stayed in the guard. So it was still going to be 
armbar triangle threat. There was no threat to K-Guard. There was, there was no up and over Kimura. There was no attempt at Octopus. It was just really... And you, what it looked like watching it is you just... It just closed in on him. Like the match just kept getting away from him and getting away from him. And as opposed to him branching out to see more options, it was just more strikes getting landed. I, I do get why he didn't do that because, you know, if he opens his legs and he sort of like starts to use his hands more with combat jiu so you are going to get hit. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand his strategy point of view. That being said, he did catch me in his armbar. So mm-hmm. I was on the cage. Um, he got under my leg and I kind of at this point was like, ah, that's okay. I'll mm-hmm. deal with that later which I know is stupid. And then he fed his arm through to my opposite leg and extended my right arm. And I was like, okay, I've let this go way too long, but obviously combat jiu-jitsu again. So instead of applying a proper defense, I just pumped, I went for a palm strike. Palmed your way out. He had to obviously realize that after that hit him, because he was using both his arms to control mine, had to re-square up and just abandon the armbar. Yeah. So what was it like overall being that you haven't competed in a combat jiu-jitsu match yet and you compete oh you have yeah. before yes. i didn't know that yeah why am i retarded like i don't know <laughs> it's in the deep jungles of india no oh, shit okay, okay. Uh, unrecorded oh no the deep jungles of india. um so i've done a few oh, and then i did prep for them with hitting but okay once again it's just yeah knowing when to strike and when not to strike so you're a combat jiu-jitsu professional now this is still is a new venture jiu- yeah look once I realized slapping's fun, I'm like, this is heaps more fun than jiu-jitsu. Beachside <laughs> membership has gone down in the lead up to this match. Nah, everyone wanted to slap me in training. It's gone. If I anything, wonder why, Nick. Everyone wanted to slap you outside of training. Yeah, <laughs> so um, they could just take it onto the mats now. But yeah, Fusion. Fusion are an awesome event. Um, it looks cool as well. Yeah, uh, really good to the fighters. Um, can't speak highly enough for the promoter. Uh, I joke around that promoters... You know, generally uh, all scum. Uh, yes, uh, and, and I, I agree. And I said to him, uh, you know, <laughs> he what? said this to the promoter. I did, I did. I was like, you know what? All promoters are scum, but you are the least scummy of them all. Oh, that's but very kind. Obviously, of you. Joke. no. He's uh, the guy that runs Fusion's absolutely awesome. Um, everything's taken care of for you. You don't have to think about anything. And then, you know, the photos of the event uploaded instantly, sent to you in a Dropbox. Uh, HD photos and videos of you walking out. The ending sent to you like the day after. Gives you a, yeah, it's just amazing. And yeah. we just noticed how he hasn't mentioned anything that actually matters except the photos because that's all he wanted. That's all he cares about. I needed to make a uh, highlight video to Naruto. So. <laughs> so, I saw no, like a, thing, a little a little yeah. backstage shot of the weigh-ins bef- just before the actual weigh-in photos got posted. I'm looking at the backdrop and I just see the down lights just mm. right over the athletes. I'm gonna fuck Conway's gonna love this. Yeah, they they yeah. So that was funny as well. So we're doing the weigh-ins and um, Jonathan's um, fairly recently from here from has come to Australia from Brazil from Brazil. Yeah. Um. So he was we we're just having a chat. Really nice guy, by the way. Um. But no one's gone shirtless at this point for the Wayans. And I'm like, I haven't done this weight cut not to go shirtless. And I can't be the only person to go shirtless. So we're trying to translate through a translating app. Like, look, man, I'm going to go shirtless. I'll feel embarrassed if you don't too. Can you go shirtless? And then I was with someone who spoke Spanish trying to uh, translate to him about it as well. Um, But obviously Spanish to Portuguese is a little bit of a um, translation barrier again. So, like, they were just talking, saying, I want to take my shirt off, you have to take your shirt off. And it sort of devolved into Vic showing um, Jonathan just shirt off, shirt off, shirt off, and very confusing for everyone. Yeah, pantalons doesn't really translate to shirt, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but look, yeah, it honestly does look like a really good promotion and sort of like an up and coming promotion as well. Based on the last couple of shows that they've had, this was a little bit of a scale up for them as well. And drawing in the names like Menenko and Saunders, which was, you know, <clears throat> a match. And obviously having Duke Didier on there as well. You know, these are guys who are on the local Australian scene are doing pretty well, given that Duke is the, you know, Panpax champion last year in his weight class and in absolute and given that Saunders has been on a yeah one FC fighter so they're clearly trying to put on relevant matchups which is really a lot to be said for that because you can sort of get pulled into you know just having a vested interest in putting a promotion on in general and it's always nice when they're really kind to the athletes and they're doing things for the athletes but you really do a service to the grappling community when you're trying to source out highly relevant matches as well, um, which it looks like they're doing too. So yeah, I want to, I want to get on that show. I don't want to do combat jujitsu, but I, you know, I have to earn my way onto this stuff. You guys have actually done stuff. I've done nothing. All I do is like post Instagram reels and people are like, you look like you're moving really well, man. I was like smoking mirrors, buddy. Didn't you see the weigh-ins? That's better <laughs> for jiu-jitsu than actually being good at jiu-jitsu, having good Instagram reels. That's what I've learned is my Instagram game sucks. Oh. I, I don't do anything, and so no one cares. Yeah, but you've got the scale of like actually being legitimately the best black belt in Australia. <laughs> so that's you know a pretty good credibility factor for you, <laughs> even if your Instagram's shit. <laughs> But for you, man, look, Jesus, Declan, as soon as I put out, oh, you know, it's going to be the NWO guys, we're coming in, you know, the Jones Jiu-Jitsu crew, the link up, everyone's like, so Declan, like Declan's <laughs> going to be there? Where's your house? <laughs> Dude, when you, when you guys walked into MATLAB on the Monday, Laith Kayali, like one of our students, he was actually starstruck. He's like, I tried the foot sweep, Declan didn't work (laughs) yeah well at least you had the courage to like ask him to roll as well i was very happy with that but look you're you're reaching new heights now man and of course everyone wants to hear what your experience has been like and i could probably go on for about it for ages i sing your praises all the time but one thing i do want to say is regardless of how much people look at your lifestyle going over to b team and think oh what that's amazing that's cool that's this it still takes a hard slog, man. It still takes courage to do. And if you put people in a room where they're mid-tier, then not everyone's going to rise to the top, man. I've seen you do it amazingly. I've seen Brando do it. I've seen Tony Caruso do it. You know, these are people who are talented people, but you can't always make talent work hard. And that's what you're doing now. And I think also you're in a room full of talented people who are ready to work hard as well, which is super rare. Yeah. Um, so you've had an amazing run recently. That trials run that you had was outrageous, man. Like, and I have highlighted this before, the difference between your match with Uros now versus the one that you had previously was night and day and is a real indicator of how far you've come and in the time frame that you've come. Your matches with Daniel here in South Australia, Dan Schwartz, Manimal, to, to the limit, you know, but... You know, having matches with him at, at Henzo Gracie Academy and you know submitting him the way that you did, like this is, and he's fantastic. He's putting it out there as well. You know, what I mean, he's putting it on the line and traveling that internationally to try and upskill as well. But it's just an indicator of how far you've come and how quickly you've managed to do it. But it doesn't go without a serious amount of effort, and people just you cannot gloss over that. It just talent doesn't just happen overnight. No, I appreciate I mean. that. So, yeah. what's it been like, dude? 
Yeah, a phenomenal. Uh, B team's like second home now, you know. Um, all the guys over there are like my friends now, mm. you know. So just training partners is like here. Yeah, everyone just super friendly. Um, it's great just to like you say have like minded people like myself who want to work hard and achieve big things in the sport, um, and to have so many great minds in one spot and be able to pick from each and every person. You can have the same query, ask the ask each coach and get a different great answer and you'll find ones that work for you but you take away all the other ones so when I come back I can coach and uh, give everyone good answers you know mm -hmm. it's like even though I travel it's not always selfish a lot of it's like information gathering not just for me but for everyone back here yeah and I think that's really come through as well like you're booked out for seminars yeah. everyone wants to learn from you because of your teaching style as well as your accolades in in achievement but um, you've actually had a really eclectic mix of learning styles as well now. Like you've been you know, obviously good friends with Joseph Chen. You've roomed with them and you've trained with them and yeah. you've traveled with them. Uh, but also Nikki Ryan as well, having those types of influences around. And also there's people around that learn differently too. So you might be one of them, but you might see someone who is just a true academic illiterate but they just take off when it comes to physicality and kinetic learning. Like they can just learn by doing over and over. And it's in, I think when it comes to like people who you might be coaching, then you'll be able to identify, Oh, you're like this. You're yeah. Like this, oh like yeah, this. for sure. You, my teaching's pretty, pretty blunt. You know, I don't sort of ask people that a lot of ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> There's no questions until you've tried them. <laughs> because how can you have a question about something you haven't done? Yet? Oh, Henzo Gracie had the best answer. That I've encountered this many times. There's always the what if guy, right? But it's like, so what if... The, and it's like, then you do jujitsu. Like, yeah. You just, there's everything else that happens. Yeah. Okay? Just, just start here and then do the rest. What if I just pull my knee out, Conway? <laughs> See, I love the questions and I love it when they make no sense and I'll answer any question that anyone asks to me. They only create funny stories. I feel like there's a yeah, story behind that. This is a, like a real triggering moment for you guys. Nothing gets a better laugh than when someone asks me a question in front of everyone and I say there are no questions. <laughs> Incredible In this laugh. moment, there's no fucking questions. Yeah, I was like, when you try... And you're trying to figure it out. Because I think it's important for your learning to, you know, mm. try and process it your way. Mm -hmm. See it, try and apply it, and then you can ask me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If I give you the answer, it's like me writing something down and you just writing it down. Yeah. Just yeah. copying it. I always tell people, like, there's no more... There's no technique I can teach you that's better than your own problem-solving processes. That and was if you, way more eloquent than <laughs> yeah. it. But if you've never learned how to learn or, like, learn the value in it, then you won't try. And everyone comes into jiu-jitsu class or grappling class or wherever it may be, especially if it's a new setting or if it's, like, a high-level person who's teaching, there's a, a level of uncertainty and sometimes hesitancy mm -hmm. because they're not used to the things that they're being told to do. They're trying to force their body into movements that they don't know how to do. So even when they've just listened to you give like a two to three to four minute breakdown of what the technique is, why we're doing it, okay, go away and have a shot. There's just that lag time where it doesn't compute. Yeah. And in that lag moment, they're like, uh, so what are we doing again? And what if this happens? And they're trying to rationalize it mm -hmm. within the framework of what they understand but they're trying to do that with something that they don't understand. Yeah. So they just literally have to try to do the movements first. And then once they've encountered an issue, they'll be able to ask you a question that has relevancy to them and to you yes. as well. Yeah. yeah. That's how I, I process it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good process. We've been doing stuff recently. That's just, you know, I always work in technical themes, but 
There's also something to be said for position study as well. Okay, we're doing this position. It's two, three minute rounds with a partner. We come back and we chat about it. Mm -hmm. What issue did you have? What was your intention and what was the outcome? How can we fix this as a group? Have you got questions for me? Do I know the answers? Maybe. Maybe someone else has a good answer for this. Or maybe someone else has encountered a similar issue and actually solved it mid-round. Cool. We take that data and we go back and we do the same position again, again and again and again. Doing that every now and again, I think it like um, it starts to ignite the idea that people can solve problems by themselves and they don't have to lean so heavily on a coach or what someone is telling them to do. Like there's a difference between instructing and coaching. Mm -hmm. Instructing is like ABC, this is what I do. This is what we're going to do. Go do that thing. But coaching is sort of like a more of a guidance mechanism. You really have to look at it closely and say, all right, well, how can I actually equip you with something that's going to help you, whether mm -hmm. it's a specific technique or not, like just a pathway to learning. So I've been, I've been really enjoying those sessions recently. It'd be interesting to see like a high level group go through that process as well, which I'm sure sort of does happen. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, uh, along with that, we touched on just really briefly your experience at the ADCC trials. Do you want to give us any insights into what that process was like, given everyone's looking up at ADCC right now? And obviously, East Coast trials are happening right now. And everyone's like, wow, trials, they're now known as a really big event. What did it feel like to be a part of one of those events? I, I've always said this, and me and Lockie have talked about this a lot. I think any tournament you're in feels the same. Like it doesn't matter if it's world championships or the state championships or the local Naga, whatever. State championships when, when you're, be different. When you're <laughs> in there, you feel like it's the end of the world. You, you want to win anything that's in front of you and the pressure's always the same. Exactly. Yeah. But so for me, the trials doesn't feel any different. I felt I, I felt amazing on the day. I I knew I'd trained hard for it, like as hard as I could, and I knew I had good people around me, you know. Um Joseph Chen, uh, Dima was there in my giving me advice. Uh, Cam Donnelly, who had an amazing performance. Liam Alpang, I'm gonna forget people. Teddy, um, I had a good group around me, like helping me through the matches, helping me through strategies. Um, I had a good run submitting everyone up until round four, where I faced Luke. Um, and I think I gave Luke a reasonable match. I'm obviously not happy with things but i take away some good things and there's obviously a, a massive improvement between my previous match with luke yeah. and this this second yeah. match which i think you know i'll, I'll keep improving I'll, I'll win the ticket hopefully in the next trials um and then by adcc time i'll be ready yeah this is good uh, we'll look back at this one and be like fuck lucky we got declan on there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah look you you put your guard, you hit your inversions, you connected on sweeps, you came up to the back. You know, this is like not a difficult, like not an easy thing to do against someone like Luke Griffiths. How does that make under 99, by the way? Um, death. <laughs> he's huge, he's, man. He's a massive, massive human. He's man. like Brando-sized. That's not, and that's not to like take anything away from how technically incredible he is. Yeah. And he, he didn't beat me because he was bigger than me. That yeah. We were this, you in do. the same weight class. There's no excuse. He was technically better than me. Yeah. Oh, man, that's uh, very gracious of you. No. And look, that's how you've got to be um, when you're at that level. You can't make any excuses, especially no. considering that there's one winner mm -hmm. and you're trying to be that one winner. And the only way you're going to do it is to live in a world 
just fixed in reality about what you need to do to get better. My my favorite comment is, oh, but you lost to the winner. It's like, yeah, but I could have lost to the winner in the first round mm. or I could have lost to in the finals. If I don't win the whole thing, I didn't win it, you know? Mm. Yeah. The ticket or nothing. That's yeah, that that's, that's what it. You're for. And how do you feel about the upcoming Singapore? Amazing, amazing. Yeah. This is the one. This is the one where I'm 100% confident. Mm. You know, I, I said I had the same feeling at the 88 last year. You know, I believe I could I had the potential to win that one. This one, I'm even better than I was. If you put me against the guy that I was last year, I'll smoke him under a minute. Mm. And that's how progression should be. Is it yeah. also because you're 15 kilos better than him? It, uh, bigger, it's sorry, it's bigger. Fatter. Fatter. <laughs> oh, man. You want to get slapped again? Right? <laughs> yeah. Which podcast. ear was it? Yeah, yeah. It's the sound. Yeah, the, the old me couldn't even bench press the new me, you know? <laughs> Oh man, that's good. So I think I finally found my weight class, you know. Like yeah, eighty-eight. I, I cut a little bit to to make it, but and I felt good at eighty-eight. And through the M sixteen opens, I think I fought most of the best guys at eighty-eight. Mm. But now at ninety-nine, it's a new challenge, new guys. But I think you know, with my size, my frame, it's the spot I need to be. Yeah, hundred percent. It's good that the M sixteen opens sort of served that purpose for you in that time period as well. Like literally outsourcing, trying to get the best possible matchups for you. Yeah. Um, and kudos to the guys who accepted those matchups as well. Like they may or may not have realized what they were walking into at the time, but I think eventually they did, so they knew they were stepping up. Yeah, I, I think you know before that uh, that run of M sixteen opens, you know, everyone was like, yeah, Declan's good. But mm. I think the guys that I beat and the way that I fought on those tournaments really put my name out there in Australia as one of the best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking about weight before. You know what's wild to think? It wasn't too long ago that you were cutting to 73 for the Euros. <coughs> I remember seeing him and it was like, a, like looked like a skeleton, sickly. Yeah. 2019, yeah. 73 kilos. That makes me sad. <laughs> Black coffee and... One apple. Yeah. And I don't like coffee. <laughs> Or apples. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. That's amazing, man. How'd you go at Euros? I bronze that year. Yeah. Bronze. Uh, I think I had five or six matches. Um, it's it's a hell of a podium, you know. It's me and Jonathan uh, Alves next to each other oh in, the, in the bronze. And I was like, we're the same in the game. You know, we're the same. I was in like, the I'll, I'll retire there. Uh, it's been pretty amazing to watch it all happen, man. And it just, yeah, it comes together piece by piece. And I think a lot of it has been off the back of a lot of honest effort as well. Like, think back at when those M16 Opens started. Like, there wasn't an Open yet. They were just invitationals, yeah. right? So it started, like, back in COVID, basically. Mm-hmm. So that, so Miles and Adam wanted to put something on so that competition could keep going in the state of South Australia. And everything that they said that they were going to do, they did. They made it affordable. They made it accessible. Um, and they've maintained that all the way through. And they make concessions and sacrifices in order for that to continue to happen to this day as well. Like there were little absolute tournaments in-house at M16. And they were talking about moving it on to uh, actual championship tournaments, which they did, which everyone in the entire state looks forward to now because it blue belts and up can do black belt rules. I'm doing air quotes, which is basically just leg entanglements and submissions that should be allowable anyway. Um, and then they've constantly put on big shows that just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Bat phone podcast has been to everyone. I'm doing stupid commentary that no one listens to, but I'm doing that because I'm excited about the shows. It feels like an event, you know, yeah. like 
the two, three times a year they do it, it feels like an event for the community. Yeah, yeah. And that really should be where the emphasis is. And the reason why our little group is called the NWO is because we're trying to take it to the cartels. And unfortunately, there's been some stuff that's happened very, very recently, which has sort of made us have a frown. For the people who have been involved in it for a really long time, I don't know where it's coming from, if it's top down or whatever, but that whole notion of making it accessible, making it uh, an achievable thing, making it viable, making it coveted, making it prestigious and making it honorable, it's really starting to get low. And I'm not just talking about, you know, whatever handout was at the, the front of our state championships in South Australia, where it was like, only IBJJF accredited coaches can get in for free or something like this. I think that even if that's a, a hard rule, I think you've got to take into consideration like guys um, like Mark from Eastside, mm. you know, he's not an IBJF guy, never has been, but what a legend. Yeah. Not only as a person, but of this state in this sport and of um, martial arts as a whole, how are you going to turn that guy away? Yeah. Or make him pay $20 or whatever it is when he's contributed so much. Yeah. You know? And if that's a steadfast rule, there's only really three or four people that I know of in that entire stadium that can have a, you know, a free entry mm -hmm. to go in and support their team. But we're not just trying to support our own team. We're trying to support our entire community. And what if that was a steadfast rule from the time that we began this whole thing? There were no IBJJF accredited black belts. And I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that notification handout or anything like that come down from anywhere like at nationals recently states recently pan packs last year i've been to all of those and mm -hmm. there's been none of that but what has happened is there's just been this concerted effort to can like turn people off it and turn people away like having no white belts be able to compete in no gi at pan packs whatsoever like that is outrageous. That that's is an, an, that's an RBGJF. Yeah. This is what I'm talking and, but, about, man. This is the cartels at work it's, again. It's crazy. And like, the price increase, which mm -hmm. has been really recent too, and it, just turning people away from pan packs, just turning people away from nationals. You've got promotions out there like Grappling Industries who are actually still to this day putting on round robins, trying to make it accessible, trying to make it affordable. You've got, again, M16 Open trying to make it affordable. Like, and then you've got the top tier, you know, federations in the world doing the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. It's mind bending. It, it's uh, it's beyond a joke now. Like for years, the price goes up every year, you know, and then you have to get a registration, and now you have to be registered as a coach to go in. You know, it's getting worse and worse and worse. When really it should be becoming more accessible. Mm. The price should never really change. You know. Mm trying to promote as many people to compete as possible. But especially young guys, um, you know, if if you're in, in finishing high school, sort of that area, and, you know, you're moving out, you're going to university, you can't afford $180 to compete. Mm. That's that's taken away from your rent, your food, all this. You know, people are trying to work as much as they can, uh, trying to achieve things academically, and then they want to compete, but they can't. Mm. It's, it's physically impossible for them to do yeah. more. To earn that money and to compete. who's the broader percentage of people who are actually trying to compete right now? It's those people, the it's those athletes who are... Yeah. And I think they're just going to get turned away as well because what 
their training entails in the training room and what their coaches are telling them who are good coaches trying to do right by them, allowing them modern technique, allowing them modern insights. They're not allowed to do any of it when they get to competition time. If they want to make a change, they're going to have to make all allowable techniques start at blue belt. Otherwise, when you, because blue belt's like a thing now, you can be a very high level practitioner at blue and purple, and you have the opportunity to say, go immediately into ADCC trials and get exposed to the higher level of technique really early on. And if you can't do that, at an IBJJF, AFBJJ event, then you won't. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out a name, uh, Nick Mattia, a young guy from uh, B Team. He is through to the round of 32 uh, at, their, East Coast. at the East Coast Trials today. He was a blue belt when I first got to the US um, this trip. So, like, what was that now? Three, four months ago? And he's, round, he's into the round of 32. These guys exist because they're training with all the rules, mm. with the best guys, you know. He's a blue belt, but man, me mm. and him would go to war, you know. Yeah. Like killer rounds. He'd get me, I'd get him. Mm. You know, these guys exist at blue belt. It's yeah. like, why would you limit these people and their potential when you give them the opportunity like an ADCC trials and they smash it? You know? Yeah. And if, you, and if you keep putting them in that position to have to make a choice, then they will make a choice. You're going to lose out on top tier athletes in the sport that – you've constructed to try to generate top tier athletes. And then when you supposedly get to the top, I'm doing air quotes again, to register as a black belt is a completely different process. It's like elitism in its finest form. You have to register your black belt individually and then register your club. And then in order to register as a second degree black belt officially with the IBJJF, that's a completely different process. Once again, you have to prove your lineage back to the Gracies. You have to go through a refereeing course, you have to you have to have had a renewed and valid membership with the IBJJF for a summary of six years. So if you let it lapse for a bit, or if you got your black belt and you didn't, you weren't going to do an IBJJF event, you didn't have the money maybe, and you didn't sign on to IBJJF or register it, then like there's a two-year lag or a year lag between you getting your black belt and you getting to your six years as a degree. It doesn't matter. But what did we have? We had one tournament in 2019, mm. IBJF, which is the Pampax, and then nothing because mm. of COVID. And then we have no other IBJF tournaments. So that was that was gone. Why would I renew my, reg- my membership if mm. I can't compete? I couldn't leave the country. So my membership was lapsed for a very long time. Yep, I'm only same. just now renewing. So I'm losing that, that yeah. time period. Yeah, there's a gap in time where for that time period, you weren't a black belt. But in they, fact, they, they weren't know, anyone. And I've competed yeah. in their rule set before. Yeah. I've already proven I've been signed off by my, my instructors. But no, that's all washed because I didn't pay the $50 or whatever it is. And they probably have the single worst, like, client or customer service of all time if you brought any of this to them they'd probably just blacklist you and not let you access your account yeah it's it's getting really bad and so look all all respect has to go to people like miles and people like adam who are actively seeking pathways and working towards constructing something real that is an alternative a viable alternative yeah we're gonna have to have a new state championships or something like that the real state championships (laughs) I'm Switzerland or Sweden. Oh, what's shut the it. For one? What's the <laughs> yeah, if you give me well, one honest feeling, <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll chime in. I think that it's a 
free market. Anyone can put any event on that they want to, and whoever likes that rule set can go to it. Like I love the M sixteen tournaments and acid gym. That's primarily nogi that do focus on leg locks from a white belt to blue belt. You got to pick one. You can do the M sixteen, or you can do the state championship. The grappling right. industries. <laughs> I'm gonna say more. Like, and then the states have their rule set. Um, obviously, um, not able to do. You know, most leg locks until brown belt adult. But you know, if you are someone that's going to go on at blue belt or purple belt to compete in the nationals or to compete in the pan packs, that's the rule set that'll get you better for them. So mm. it's experience to that one as well. So the more options for competitors in any single state, the better. The more frequency of competition, the more broad and diverse rule set that are relevant, um, the better. So I'm all about cramming as many competitions in the year as possible the frequency has been killed by the cost though because people yeah. can only compete x amount of times mm. financially that's the thing it's like we could have a competition every weekend but it'd have to be two dollars to enter you know yeah and that's like when the kid the kids at our club they're like oh i'm thinking about competing i'm thinking about doing this the advice that i give to them is always the same and i ask them how does this competition best serve you what is it going to do for you if you give your money and your time and your energy and your effort to this competition? Are you going to get the development opportunity that you're looking for? Are you going to get the accolade that you're looking for? Like, what is it doing for you? Because base experience is super necessary. You're going to have to get out there and you're going to have to do it. But if it's not relevant to you because you can't do any footlocks at all, then I don't know, man, like... What kind of experience are you getting? Because you're kind of hamstringing yourself. The name that I'll bring up is Luke Marco. I watched Luke Marco at the last state championships before he wrecked his foot at our academy because it's my fault. Um, and I'm watching him in a blue belt match go to K-Guard, by, bypass everything that he could possibly do in leg entanglement-wise through two and three inversions and just settle on a straight foot lock. And I'm like, he could have finished that match eight times. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, he had to, in a competitive setting, actively hold himself back. And that's detrimental. That's detrimental because now you're, you're teaching yourself to not do things in a competitive setting. Can I point? Just know the rules that you're fighting. And like, I'm, if I'm going into like a normal jiu-jitsu match, I've just done a combat jiu-jitsu one, I'm not going to go like, like stand at the person and go, I could hit you here. I could hit you here. I could hit you there. Like, you know. You yeah. Can't, I mean, counterpoint to that is have better rules. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, but obviously, if you don't like the rules of the competition you're competing in, don't enter it. And that's that. exactly what I'm saying. That's How do I mean the competitions like, best serve you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice little rant. <laughs> and you know what? We were diplomatic. I probably wasn't. I'm probably getting cancelled after this. Ah, it doesn't Cancel matter. By who? No one cancelled <laughs> by the cartels. I'll be watching my. That's your IBJJF card gone. <laughs> My application's not getting put through at Dude, all now. I just got it renewed. <laughs> Thanks to you, by the way. Oh, Jesus Christ. On the, on the thing of rules meeting at Fusion, I think that was the single best rules meeting that I've ever attended. Antonio, who's one of the IM, IBJF refs, is like, hey, everyone, how you going? Um, do you know the rules? And if you don't, go on the website because they're there. Uh, if you still don't know them, look it up. You should know them if you're competing today. Any questions? No, let's move on. That's excellent. That perfect. Yeah. That is excellent. No, like, if you're really relying on this rules meeting yeah. to figure it out. You've made a big mistake in terms of your preparation <laughs> far beyond. Yeah. That's such, couldn't be couldn't be more true. Yeah, we're going back for segment two. As I said before, I, I lost a whole podcast and so now we do things in segments. I promised everyone we were going to go through 
the top 10 highest rated episodes of the Bat Phone Podcast because this is episode 100. And we'll do it right now, but I won't spend too much time on it. I'm sure you're all super interested in this bit as well. Number 10, who do we think it was? Who's on, who's on the cards for number 10? Oh, don't make me pick. <laughs> There's been so many guests that you don't know who they were. Um, Alan Hartley. Alan Hartley uh, at number 10. I thought that Logan. would be higher. I thought that would be There's higher. been some, there's some repeat offenders in here mm. as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah. No, Alan Hartley was episode seven and uh, everyone loved that one. And for, for one of the earlier episodes when people didn't really know about the podcast yet, like the whole idea of doing this podcast was just so I could talk to people mm-hmm. that I liked or maybe that I didn't have like have an opportunity to sit down and talk with it was around COVID time as well so we're kind of not able to do that yeah um but i'm so glad that i did start it and i got people on really early like alan because mm-hmm. we'd had a lot of interactions prior to that i'd cornered him in you know fight shows and things like that but actually sitting down and talking to someone for an hour and a half is a little bit of a different experience and i, I know that a lot of other people around the state got to know him a little bit better and um, we really value and cherish his contributions to the to the scene as well, whether it's combat sports, MMA, grappling, whatever it is. And yeah, people should go back and listen to that episode. He came on one more time as well after that. Um, and what he's a just, guy. He's an absolute legend, man. Number nine, a bit of a dubious character, episode 24, Lachlan Conway. I should be fucking higher than that. Oh, dude, it's hard, man. It's hard. There's, you're going up, you've got stiff competition up here in the top 10, man. But you're one of the prolific guys. You've been in... No, this is like your third time on the podcast now. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, this time two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was this and the initial this one? one? Yeah, the first one. The yeah. first one. Um, we got to talk a lot about Beachside and, and your journey and your pathway through grappling as mm-hmm. well. And that from that episode, that kind of prompted me to want to get on like Lachlan Warren and Michael Lim as well. And I'm super happy that I got to do that too. So yeah, always. I good. know Limmy's my number one episode for sure. He's like, your favorite episode? Yeah, he's my favorite by a, lot, by a mile. Like his story is so good. He's just a great guy. You know, I think underappreciated these days. Yeah. Like people don't re- remember, you know, like the new guys don't know how much how he much he did combat sports he was oh, the man. first ever MMA card in Astra- uh, South Australia yeah mm-hmm. we were on the same card yeah. yeah he was doing the I think the demo for the sanctioning committee in order to get it legalized here yep same with me yep. I was on that same DVD um and like you remember that and you remember seeing those people doing that. Dave DeConti was on mm-hmm. it as well Tom Hunter was lurking in the background saying do it like this we gotta like find this. the DVD right I think I might have. Really? <laughs> if I can find it, I will get it. Yes. But I remember living like I knew probably what I thought was a fair amount of his story. I probably knew 20% of his story. So when he actually came on and told everyone, it was like, fuck. And I really hoped that people had listened to that as well because just people fly under the radar, man. Even Kim Robinson sort of somehow to this day has flown under the radar mm-hmm. about the conversation about people who have really contributed and were veterans and pioneers and stuff like that. you can't you can't gloss over these types of people man and Limmy was one of them he mm-hmm. shared a, a reel that i know we all reposted as well of like his fight highlights and stuff like that Incredible. through thailand and grappling competitions and early mma and like man yeah absolutely Legend. incredible uh number eight he probably will be as equally as pissed off that he's this low on the count as you were brando peritich episode 85 you should have put him number one because we're all yeah. scared of him yeah. <laughs> i should have just yeah should have just muddied it and just put him at number just one. Regardless. Dude, he has taken off now as well, man. Like Everyone's running. Six fight pullouts in one year. 
just because they go, oh yeah, yeah, I'll fight this guy. They look at all this like footage and like, yep. no, nah. I'm not doing that. Why would I ever do that? But he's in the right place, you know. Like, I remember the whole process of, you know, one of the first things that happened was uh, we had like a a video link up meeting about management. And it was Dan Hooker setting up a new management company. So it was like me and Brando sitting on one side and then Dan Hooker and this dude sitting on the other side and talking about Brando and Brando's career. And Dan Hooker was really gung-ho for it. Didn't end up coming through because it was a little bit of like a time period where Dan wasn't at CKB. He was trying to start his own thing. Yeah, And it's good that it didn't come through at that point. But it came through later because we established that connection. And then Brando had the opportunity to go and fight like a super heavyweight title fight um, in kickboxing, fighting for Rikers. And it just so happened like all the CKB guys were there. Dan Hooker was there. And the day after that fight that he fought with like Big Dave, the second fight he had with him, he ended up going to CKB and like training the day after the fight and rolling. And he was like submitting their black belts and shit like that. And they're like, oh yeah, I think we might need you to stay here. <laughs> but at the same time, it's just like you, man. Like what did Brando had to live at the gym? It, it didn't just get to fucking fly in there and start living the jet lifestyle. You know what I mean? He, he had to work oh, yeah. super hard every single day. Got hurt, got sick, didn't matter. Yeah. Like push through, and that's hard for big guys to do, man. Like the the heavyweights are always the big babies; they're the most emotional ones of any of the MMA athletes I've ever had the pleasure of coaching. The, the heavyweights are always the babies. Yeah, I uh, I took my old man to the knees the last knees of fury here and watched Brando fight, maybe the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and you know, I was like looking at my dad. I was like, "What is that's not even a person?" Yeah, you know? exactly. And, that's a bad. The, the fight he put on was unbelievable. Yeah, he put on. He that's when he beat Big Dave. That mm-hmm. was the clinic that he put it, on. It was here. perfect. Came yeah. back from being dropped too, and what a what a fight! It was like in, inspirational. Yeah, and I think the rap on Brando has always been that like he's a big hitter. You know what I mean? But that was the fight where people really saw how technical he could be. Mm-hmm. When you can't overmatch or overpower someone because you're fighting at super heavyweight and the guy's six foot eight and three hundred kilos or something crazy. Like, what are you going to do? And no one other than Brando was in that ring having to face down that demon. And he came up with the answers. Like, having an actual tree trunk swung at him. Yeah. Mm. And that's the thing with heavyweights, though, man. Like, you're a big monster. But you only get to fight other big monsters. And, like, we've all got the same brain, the same skull. And, like, we all have the same fears. Like, if me going into that ring against someone of that size who is proven to be a good fighter as well. Not just good because they're big. But good because they're good. You know, that's that's terrifying. But they face it down every time. I don't know how. But yeah, Brando, I just see him in Instagram stories and reels now smoking Cuban cigars with his artist, honey. I'm like, yeah, someone better fight this guy soon. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise he's going to be lost to Cuba. Like, this is going to be interesting. Uh, number seven, a good friend of mine, uh, Tony the Spartan Caruso, episode three. Uh, look, I can't say enough about this guy. I always, I always sing his praises as well because of how much of a hard worker he actually mm-hmm. is. But every time he comes back to South Australia, he always comes into MATLAB and he, he's always, he's just such an open book of learning as well. Like he will go anywhere for the sole purpose of learning from specific people. Yeah. And 
he's just such a hard worker as well though man I, I really hope he's got a fight coming up in Alaska and he will be the only South Australian to have ever fought in Alaska he might be the only South Australian to ever be in Alaska <laughs> but he's gonna fight I mean he's the only South Australian I know of who had a 1FC match in Jakarta and let me tell you something against man. a former champion yeah mm-hmm. yeah dude the type of performances that he's capable of putting on are like he fights out of his skin man like he is technical, don't get me wrong, but his technical aptitude versus like the ratio of his competitive ability is... Born to fight. Yeah, he, he is just a competitor, man. And, he, and he's also been in doing this sport for a long time, mm-hmm. a lot longer than most people realize. Yeah, yeah, he's been around. You look at all the photos of like him and Sav and Diego yeah. in long-ass white belts and geese. <laughs> Upside-down belt, white... <laughs> And yeah, you just, I remember them so having good. brawls with people like, even like Tony Caruso and Sean D'Ambrosio, like guys that you've fought before in the state, like running each other off the mats with double legs at state championships and stuff like that. Like they've been involved in... When the state's with Wild West. That, it was best the Wild West. <laughs> Those were the best times, man. I remember doing like a, a blue belt. It was like the only time nationals ever came here. It was Australian Open or something like that. Because when every year they used to bring the Nationals to a different, a different yeah, state. Yeah, and was it was good. the only time it ever came here. And I just bombed out in my weight class. And then I had a run in the open that was just insane. Like I watched this massive dude beat Mike Turner and beat Ramo and beat all these dudes who I could never beat. You know what I mean? And then I somehow beat this guy in the final. And you know what it's like, like massive dude versus little dude. So even if you didn't know me, everyone was on my side, which yeah. in back of the day didn't happen like no one was on my side so yeah that was a hell of a moment man but that would never happen these days because it was true wild west back then but yeah the carusos were all a part of that man just having brawls with people and tony uh dude going to indonesia going to jakarta with tony caruso sav caruso diego caruso lee jenkins and then Big how, Papa Joe. How he made it out, not in prison, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the thing I remember about that trip was, yeah, they had a an MMA gym in the lobby of the hotel that we were in. And the whole hotel, at one point in time, just smelled like piss. Because fucking, they're doing the hydration test, and the hydration tests come over two days. And yeah. they're doing all this stuff in the same place that every athlete in the entire card is living in it's this one hotel because it's the only safe politically neutral zone like right next to the hospital and they're all trying to do these three-day hydration tests all at the same time and it was just absolute piss like everywhere but it's a really I nice like everywhere well, they've got like pissing on the floor dude I, I can't explain it to you man it was a really nice decadent hotel really good um, facilities did, were they were people pissing on the floor you own a gym I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been in a gym bathroom yeah you're right people that come to a gym cannot piss straight <laughs> it's, it's on the wall asking these dudes it's on the floor. Floor. they're all trying to figure out how to game the system and they're all trying to piss into a tiny cup at the same time it did not fucking go well man okay no I was genuinely curious <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Sav had like a I guess like a program on his phone that auto swiped everyone on Tinder <laughs> so he's getting banned from Tinder and getting pissed off and at the time I was on Tinder but like I didn't use it for that purpose I was just trying to get like girls to come in and do our washing and shit because fucking everything stunk man I'm like do you do laundry who do you think I am I'm like oh, yeah. you're talking to some gringo on 
Tinder. Trust me, you're not. You're doing our laundry. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that. Did hey, you? listen, guys. I've told you about my history. But the one thing I remember most from that trip is Tony likes to go into all of his fights like basically slick and hairless. Mm-hmm. And he comes up to me. He's like, I forgot my electric shave, bro. And he had in one hand a small razor and in the other hand a small bottle of shaving cream. And he said, Nick, can you shave my back, bro? And you know what I did? You're a good friend. I took, I took that razor and I shaved that hairy wog back and I do it again. I went back second crack on that show. I, I made him slick as fuck. Uh, he, went in, he went into that. No one's taking him down, man, no matter what kind of takedown they were shooting. High crutch, oil check, nothing. They were not getting any purchase on that slick wog. And, <laughs> and I would do it again. I would do it again. <laughs> yeah, as I said, getting cancelled. Uh, number six, and he's not here today, but yeah. The giant couldn't make it. Adam Jones, round one, episode 23. Uh, every time you sit down with Adam, you realize that you shouldn't have. Like, it's just one of those things. He always comes out with some outlandish shit. There's always someone upset. Dude, it's just, it's been ingrained in him since he was a young man. Like, you have to razz nonstop. It's not like, oh, you could, the option to razz is there. Like, you actually have it's to. It's in his DNA. Yeah. You don't want to be the weakest guy in the room when he's there, you know? <laughs> Like verbally, you gotta be quick. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and then everyone sees Craig through Adam as well. It's like you can see that every time Adam's in the room, I was standing next to him uh, at the last fight show, and literally every time everyone comes up to him just to say hello, they're like, "Yeah, so Craig," and it's just like fucking my heart breaks for him, but at the same time, it doesn't. I don't think it was a man prouder than Craig, of Craig though. Yeah, you know, exactly. At the same time, it, it's nice to see that. Yeah, that he actually he actually cares. It's yeah. super easy, I think. Well, I don't know. I'm an only child, but I, I could see how it would be easy to mm. sort of take that the wrong way. But I don't think anyone's proud of it. No. And Adam's like, yeah, I make money off this guy. <laughs> yeah. He pays my bills. Uh, coming in at number five, and this is a really unfortunate thing that has happened here. Adam Jones, round two, episode 82. So from back episode to 23 to episode 82... The same amount of people decided that they were going to listen to it. So fucking congratulations, Adam. You've done it. You should have come on today. Maybe I have to get him on another time just by himself. Um, Richie Elliott was number four, episode 87. That's amazing. And that was just me sitting there just like, what the fuck, man? I know nothing about life. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought I lived the life. But people, if uh, you're listening to this today, go back and find that one, 87, Richie Elliott. Uh, Me explaining the stories that he has and the life experience that he has will not do it justice. You have to hear it from him himself. Um, I'm sure that anyone who's trained with him or anyone who's even been around him backstage when he's wrapping hands and dropping insights to fighters and things like that you you begin to realize his worth in the scene as well Um, that was a fun one so we're getting into the top three now so coming in at number three the man sitting to my right episode 27 Declan Moody and I was surprised I was surprised that you weren't higher than this man but this is this is the way cookie crumbles man I'm not I'm not Overly interesting to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was kind of pre-fame Declan Moody as well, like pre-B-team, pre-reels, pre-viral Heisen Reader clip. Like That still gets liked every day. (laughs) And I'm like, are you making money off of that? He better be. (laughs) And he better be sharing that money with you somehow. 
As long as he doesn't hurt me, you know, <laughs> that's payment enough. <laughs> I can't imagine the injury rate of training partners, Heisem Rita versus victim A, victim B, victim C. Like $46 million lawsuits are going to come against the giraffe. Like, I don't know. And that real is like going to pay them all off. <laughs> <laughs> Number two was the 2023 roundtable that featured Declan, Adam, and Tommy Hayes as well. And that was episode 93. How did Tommy get in on that? I don't know. He's lucky. That's wow. <laughs> Give the kids some credit. <laughs> you should see that. It's no video for this, but you can't see the looks on Conway and Declan's face as soon as I say the name Tommy. Like, what has he done to you guys? I was making a face at Declan's comment just said, thank you very much. <laughs> Tommy would be disappointed in me if I didn't say anything. Oh. He always drops bombs as well. Like, I'd love to do a podcast with him that's behind a paywall just so we can say what we actually want to say. And if uh, if the shit happens, then shit happens. But you have to pay to hear it at least. Tommy, uh, Tommy comes out with some good stuff. <laughs> he is. He's a, he's a very analytical guy. But yeah, that was number two. And number one, who is it? Who's number one? <laughs> was it one of the events? No, no. He was a former prince of this area, but he now oh, has to be the king. The big man, Miles Simpson. Miles Simpson. Number one most highest rated episode of the Bat Phone Podcast history, episode 26. The king of Seaford himself, Miles Simpson. As it should be. Everyone tuned in for that one there. Everyone. Because I don't know if he'd really been on any podcast before that or if he had a platform to have that kind of voice prior to that time. I know he's been on a bunch since, which is awesome. But that one was a really special one for me as well because I'd been talking about him for ages uh, on the podcast and just in general about what he was doing, what he had done. And now he just continues as well. He's going to have his retirement fight. I believe it's November 10 Mm -hmm. at a boxing event against Anthony Bino. And Miles does not take things lightly, man. He's been taking this real serious from what I can see. Yeah, he's, he's incredible to watch his work ethic and like... He's obviously running the gym. He's got a family. It's unbelievable. Mm. Like everything about that guy, I can't sing a shot. Champion of all sports as well. Um, high level grappling, competed in grappling, won a lot there. Muay Thai, uh, MMA. So really well versed in everything as well. And jumped in at the professional level and at everything. Also, one of my best <clears throat> friends, you know, like a guy I can turn to with any issue. He's always there for me. Like always has been from day dot, you know. So like a special person in my life. Yeah. Uh, look, I-, I was matched up to fight him once, and I'm so glad that I did it. <laughs> like, we speculate about who would have won that fight, and I just keep telling him, you you won, dude. You won the fight. <laughs> that's that's the way I see it in my eyes. Like, he is probably the one person, like, maybe besides Greg Toyama, who's done the most for the combat sports community in the state of South Australia. Overall, like, overreaching effect that he's had, and... Yeah, the experience that you've had with him, I'm sure that's echoed by so many people. I'm sure that behind the scenes, to this day, he's going out of his way for a lot of people and no one no one really knows. But yeah, yeah props to you, Miles. You took it out and as, as you should have. Um, so I also put it out there, the people's choice. Who do you reckon the people's choice was about their favorite ever guest on the Batman podcast? This, this is the real winner here. <laughs> <clears throat> Tricky one. Like I said, my personal favorite is Maybe. Libby. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Probably Adam or Mark. I was thinking Adam. It's Declan. Really? Yeah. yeah. Moody picked it up. People's choice. 
Because this is post-fame, <laughs> so now of course you're going to win the, the people's vote, man, ah, as you should, man. You're, yeah, we speak a lot about Miles' accolades, but I've also mentioned your accolades in the past as well, and there's a reason why I don't just put my support behind people because I think it's a cool fucking thing to do, you know what I mean? Like, there's things we've all done for each other behind the scenes that people don't know about that that's really the reason that we support each other so much and yeah. you've earned that man you earned that you're the people's choice for a reason and we're, we're all just looking forward to seeing what happens next as well only gonna get better and bigger you know yeah physically and <laughs> <laughs> better and bigger how much bigger can you get man can you fucking stop like jesus christ man you put a two-on-one grip on me the other day when you came into the academy standing I had the whole rest of my body to try to do something about that grip. I fucking couldn't do anything, man. I'm like, well, this is just... My students are watching, bro. Can you fucking... Nah, it's good. I like, I like when my students see me get trounced, man. They need to know that I'm not the fucking ceiling of how good grappling can be. Dude. They need to see that shit, man. That's when you people was... like when Craig uploads videos of me flying through the air. You know? <laughs> people levels. are like, ah. Uh. The kangaroo oh, meme? The kangaroo meme? Oh, fuck, dude. That was great. We were, we were oh getting him ready for his fight with Anton M16 Open. We were, me and Declan were talking trash the night before, and he's like, man, I'm going to pin you down so bad. Like, this is all over you. I'm like, have you ever seen someone throw a brick into a washing machine that's on? It's just going to destroy it. <laughs> so we are joking around about it, but then he got my back, and I just started spazzing out, oh. trying to get out, elbow him right in his uh, eyebrow, cut him completely open. Had to drive him down to the hospital to get stitches. I watched that happen. And dude, what was worse was like two weeks later when he came back and the cut had healed, I watched the same transition take place. And yeah, because you guys were training the same. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> we, we nearly did it again. Yeah. And Anton split me above my eye in that fight. I had a panic was, attack because I thought your eye was split where I hit you. And I was like, oh, don't tell me he's yeah. going to be like out this fight because of me. But I was like, it's a new cut. That's fine. I'm happy with that. <laughs> I, I can't be blamed. Yeah, from no cuts in Jiu-Jitsu to two in like two weeks. Jesus. Yeah, the, well. That was a fun, funny time getting the stitches. We, we ended up at the hospital and then um, they're like, man, it's too busy. Go to this doctor's surgery. And we're in there. And uh, this lov- lovely lady, lovely nurse is like, uh, she starts like uh, putting the anesthetic in and then she starts stitching me and she's like, oh, the doctor's coming in. And I was like, well, who are you? Why am I getting stitches? I was like, do you even work here? <laughs> oh, I and then she's done. like, no, no, it's fine. It's, I do it all the time. I was like, all right. And then she's like, um, do you need like a sick note? And Lucky goes, no, it's coming to work in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> we had a kid's class to teach and I sure as hell wasn't doing it on my own. So, oh, we're going to try and pull out Declan's stitches. Uh, we, one of the guys at the gym pulled out my stitches actually oh so he is he is a nurse though so we're like they're yeah. a mat and we, in the middle of class he's just cutting his <laughs> cutting his stitches out Man. everyone's sitting around watching hoping <laughs> so we had a, I asked what memorable moments um, people came back with a few but the one that a couple of people came back with they didn't see it coming um, we were chatting on a podcast with Ryan Cooper and we were talked about a moment in time where Ryan is was mid weight cut. We were in like an underground good life in the middle of, I think it was, it could have been either Melbourne or Sydney, one of those. So it was right in the CBD, underground good life. Even under that again was where all like the sauna facilities were. So it's hot, it's terrible, it's compact. Us and all of the absolute guys were there as well. So like Simon Carson's chatting to us 
and Evan Glicos was there with us too. So we're trying to time Ryan's cut. It was a little bit of a bigger cut than he'd done before. So he had to do more sits. And when you, when he's outside of the sauna, we've got him laying down. We've got him in the towels, um, sweating it out. So I think it was after the second round of sauna, he comes out with laying him down. He's struggling a little bit. Evan's like, oh, it's going to be all right, mate. You're going to do good. Yeah. And then just rips out the fucking loudest, wettest, smelliest fart you've ever heard right next to Ryan's head, fucking mid-cut. It slaps on the fucking walls. And Simon Carson turns around. Everyone looks around. You've got like, oh, fucking like Lisa, like Lucky Joe, all looking at us like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. I thought there was going to be a fucking brawl. I thought I had to, how am I going to get this young nice man safely out of this basement without him getting wrecked by like 12 serious fighters about to fight on eternal and ryan i don't think ryan's ever forgot it. i don't think he's ever gotten the smell out of his nose hairs i think it's been singed in there since and i you brought also, that upon yourself taking evan with you into state you know <laughs> he, he needs to be signed off or something before he goes on a field trip <laughs> He needs a handler <laughs> with him on, on like, I'm pretty sure an hour or two prior to that, I caught him just, he's like, I need to go for a walk, bro. I need to go for a walk. So like I went out for a walk, maybe a half an hour after him. And it's just him walking around randomly, like up and down the same main street, eating a Euros. Like, and on it's just, brand. yeah, it's just dripping down. It's like shit's just dropping everywhere. He didn't like stop to sit down to eat this thing. He's got shit to do. He's walking past, just like, hello, ladies. Exactly. Just, like, eating this Euros, dripping down him. Have you got a Facebook? Yeah. I'm on Snapchat. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. Oh, that was, that was a serious moment, man. That was a serious moment. But yeah, no, I'm glad that that all went down. Um, there's been a lot of like cool things that have happened out of like doing the podcast and talking to a whole bunch of people, people I never thought I would talk to ever in my life. But I think one of the coolest things is like, I got to sort of come back myself as well. And I've told you guys before, like you, you guys have inspired me to come back and compete and do all that type of thing. Um, you certainly did that by leading by example and um and walk in the walk but there's so many people that came through and talked to me on the podcast that were doing that as well i'm like fuck man like it is a good community there are good people out there and you just gotta like talk to people and, and give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes but you know there's also some people who are super strange and super weird and like have reached out and be like oh, i really want to be on the podcast i'm like no nah, man like, <laughs> that's chill i think a good question for you who do you want Maybe like three names, two names, who you haven't had on that you would love to have on. Oh, man, I want Ben Swingler on. I've been mm -hmm. trying to get Swingler on for ages. Tom Pirro as well. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Pirro after a couple of cans is, yeah. is good. Yeah, the, these types of people, man. Like people that like, so sort of like the unsung heroes. Like the podcast is just about me talking to people I want to talk to. So yeah, yeah definitely those types of guys. I wouldn't mind talking to Taylor Bednarz again. Yeah. And there's one other guy I'd really want to talk to. His name's Sean Arbin. And I've just started taking privates from him. He's got a fucking hell of a story on him, man. Um, he's completely blind now. And he's just started training in jiu-jitsu. He was training in judo. And like on his Instagram, he's uh, Sean the Blind Boxer. He's been blind for less than two years. And I wouldn't want to destroy his story by you know telling it now. I really want him to come on. But super inspirational, yeah. man. And he came out to uh, open mat on Saturday, like after doing like a couple of privates with me in jujitsu and 
so he just got welcomed with open arms man yeah. and he is just so over the moon but like i just want to sit down and give him a platform to just talk yep. about what he's been through um and he got super inspired to reach out to us by the clip that jackie shared from battleground which was the blind, blind rapper, rapper yeah who, who had his match and he's yeah. like oh, i didn't realize that that could happen you know that that that's even a pathway that could ever be available to me i'm like man 100% man and he's he's not a small boy either he's like 110 120 like might be a future Declan training partner as well right line him up <laughs> well there was one other thing that I was going to mention because when we were talking about Miles uh, before there was a matchup that I thought would be amazing which would be Miles Simpson versus George Sotoropoulos in a grappling match and whether that was on Fusion or Battleground or M16 or anywhere I feel like because I've had a match with George now and he's he's awesome man he's he's a really good person as well like I um actually have had proper conversations with him now after looking up to him for many many years and um hopefully going to be teeing up some training with him and just understanding all of the contributions that he's made to the national scene of combat sports being one of the first Australians to ever compete in ADCC. He had a, a winning run. in fight win streak in the UFC. Yep, in the UFC, fighting guys like Joe Lozon and have, beating Joe Lozon. You're not, you're not a can if you're beating no. Joe Lozon. No way. Um, you're not a can if you're on a seven-fight winning streak. In the UFC, dude. And that was before anyone had... Looking like a for mummy, all wrapped up. Yeah, all He's wrapped like, up, ready to go. Sleeves, Getting some sleeves. rubber guard traction going That's there. That's it. But yeah, so I reckon that would be an amazing matchup. But one of the other things that I've thought about nonstop after talking to George from Battleground, and he put it out there a little bit as well, is like the ideas of quintets. And I'm like, what about like a South Australia the versus NWO. Western Australia? Yeah, the NWO quintet. Like, you, can, you don't have to have me in there. You can put Warren in there. But like, what if it was like maybe me, Conway, Moody, Miles, and Adam against anyone from Western Australia. And then we just take four of those names away and just leave Moody against any five people from Western Australia. What do you I, think I, of their team already? I would think they'd have Will Diaz. Um, they got, they got, they got heaps. They've got Jake. They've got Pablo. Um, these uh, are all guys that I've fought before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Louis Ryan. Another guy from, uh, yeah. Um, well, that's four oh, names. Costa. Yeah, dude, that just get those five. You know what I mean? Get those five. Let's make it happen. Let's. Uh, either way, we need to do an NWO versus someone. Quintet. Yeah, for sure. Or we need to get just a quintet event going anyway. It doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be They're all so day. They're so good. They're so good. It just looks fun as fuck, man. And allow heel hooks as mm-hmm. well. Allow heel hooks. And no Heisem. I don't want. <laughs> I, I don't want that experience again from the last quintet. <laughs> Well, maybe this is your opportunity to go from competitor to podcaster to, to a promoter. promoter. And you should put on a massive four-squad uh, four quintet. Would we have? Would we go South Australia only? Or would we go like... I guess for your first one, let's start with that. Yeah. I think it, that's hard to find a team. Well, the thing is, if we did South Australia... Because it's not like I haven't thought about this endlessly. If I did South Australia, I think it would be... Cool if we didn't do clubs. Yeah. We could do like teams. Yeah. Like specialty, even if it was like the continuous flow team, the hooks brand team. Yeah. That type of thing. Cross team. 
um, cross gym teams. Yeah. yeah, cross gym teams like the north versus like the south or some shit like that. That'd be fucking amazing. Man. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Like imagine a north team. Like you get like Sean D'Ambrosio, Jesse Hughes, Jarek Payne's, these types of guys on the same team coming in against guys from the South. That'd be amazing. It man. would. That'd be amazing. And I don't want to do any of it myself. <laughs> I don't want to look bad. <laughs> Promoting is awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah promote, I don't want to turn into fucking... Good, good on you. Yeah, it's never in my future. Yeah, I don't know how they do it, man. I don't know how they mutate into golem-like creatures. <laughs> Enough to become a promoter. You know Monsieur Candine, like Leonardo DiCaprio's character from Django? Yes. yes. That's every That's promoter. Every promoter. Ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and so what's next, Conway, for you? Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's the end of the year. So yeah, you've got to chill shows, a bit. So um, I guess keep training till January when they start showing up again. I might do the pan packs mm-hmm. in the gig. haven't decided yet. What? Less pressure. Less. What do you mean, less pressure? Well, you can always throw the excuse out there that like, <laughs> I don't train gi, so like you can you can create ways to accept losses. Oh my! And God. that's what it's really about: <laughs> justifying losses without having it affect your brand. Yeah, brand. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm not sure. We've got a team going, so um, probably that the next thing that's on. Other than that, nothing really to the end of the year. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, man. You've done enough. You've been. One of the most active, most prolific black belts from South Australia in the last year and two years, probably the most besides Declan. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're talking on the regional scale, it's you and me. Fuck, that's sad. Shout out to Jimmy. Jay. From, oh, I was gonna, um, yeah. Tenth Planet. Planet too. Yeah, that's he, right. He just uh, had an awesome run in Tasmania. Yeah. And I'm happy that kid's awesome and I want to see him do very well. Yeah, I think big shows need to have him on now. Yeah. Like, it's it's super undeniable, man. After that, after, like, his victory over Matty Clarkos and stuff like that, he's not just having, oh, he had a good day. No, no, no. no he's, he's smashing these guys. That last double that he hits mm-hmm. is uh, something else. Yeah. 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 And he took out the Synergy Pro, I think it was, like, over, over 85 division. Like, you could have put him in any division. Under 85. Dude. Under 85. Yeah. I, think, I think he could be in any division. I thought it was him and... Oh, yeah, that's under 85. Him and Jason took out over. Yeah, yeah, Deacon took out the over. Oh, you can put him anywhere. You can put him anywhere. Shout out to Deacon, too. Yeah, yeah. Deacon's yeah. awesome, man. What a man. See yeah. him in two weeks, Tasmania. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, the, the seminar tour around Australia that Declan's going on. Yeah, next weekend, MATLAB. Weekend after Tasmania, weekend after that, Northern Territory. And then uh, just honing in for the trials, unless someone wants to pay me. An exorbitant amount of money to come teach. <laughs> that offer, that offer is out there. Yeah, it's out there. Now we are seminar plug. Seminar plugs. We're we've got the seminar at fifty dollars for you, which is fucking stupid. But the like MATLAB's going to cover the cost of like your asking price, which is super fair, and you should put it higher. But we're doing that because we want people to come. We want a $50 seminar there. It's stupid in a way, but it's also good in a way. Like, I just really want at least, I want our guys to come. I want everyone from the state to come. So $50 is cheap. Yeah. It's, it's chump If you change. have the choice between doing a local tournament or coming to my seminar, <laughs> make sure you come to my seminar. <laughs> Any thoughts on uh, young guys coming up, Conway? <laughs> Who have the choice. <laughs> Look, I just think they should get all the opportunities that they could, and I hope they have the money that they can to fund their tournaments. Do you hope that they can maybe find the money some somewhere to do a tournament if they talk about it so much? 
So we were talking about this off podcast before. You're creating this dialogue that there are young people complaining about that they can't do these tournaments. That's bullshit. No one's complaining about not being able to do tournaments. Look, it's like $100 or $150 to do a tournament. I order Uber Eats from Zambro's, which suck. I get a burrito, I get a soft taco, and I get a Pepsi Max. And it's like $56. Like, it's not that expensive to compete. When we were competing, you had like one opportunity to compete a year, and it was the States, and if you weren't around then, or it happened to align with the day that you were working on, stiff shit. So I'm not going to sit here and let you create the dialogue that, oh man, everyone these days has it so hard with all these options to compete, and it's so expensive. Then don't do all the tournaments. Like, you're complaining that people have too many fucking options, it's ridiculous. Do the tournaments you can afford, space it out, plan your year. And you know what? There are no people complaining. You're complaining on their fake behalf. Tell me how many people in the last two weeks have complained about the price of competition and have been able to do it. Oh, a bunch. But there's been heaps. (laughs) They're not prioritizing their money. Do they go out and drink on the weekend? All this sort of shit. It's bullshit. They just didn't want to compete and they're using the price whatever reason as an excuse so in the first half an hour of this podcast we heard a very diplomatic response from Lachlan Conway I want you to rewind re-listen to that section of Conway talking no, about this look I'm not saying that and then that. fast no, forward shut up, shut up. to this part no, shut up I'm saying that there isn't an issue with like you know there are 10 tournaments on a year. Yeah, maybe doing all 10 isn't financially viable but you have the option of you know doing 5 and spreading it out over 6 months so I don't know where this new, like, ah, oh, it's all too expensive shit's coming from. Yeah. It's, I agree with you. Because I'm right. I agree with you. No, there's no agree. The I'm, I'm objectively correct. I think I'm what, objectively correct. What you're expecting young kids to be able to do is spend $500 a year to compete five times. And that's completely nothing. reasonable. But the, the floor is expecting them to be, have good time management and be reasonable. Like, I, I know what you mean. If Luke Marco can spend X amount of dollars on milk per month, Right, then he should be able to enter into a grappling industries. See, you're bringing this up like he's an example I've never heard and complain about. Not he doesn't out. complain about shit. He just trains super hard and competes. So yeah, a young kid doing all the tournaments. I never heard him yeah. complain about money about it. He you know, honestly, a way to prioritize his funds towards. I it. think you're Did right. you get hungry or something? What's, it like? <laughs> What's going on? I think you're right. I think it's the people who I haven't right. competed. <laughs> I'm objectively much. correct. It's not a topic of like, <laughs> right. like you can have an opinion. <laughs> There's like subject subjectivity to it where like, you know, this per- I am objectively uh, correct. Final part, that's it, I'm correct. Too easy. The, I, I will say no, the, you won't. the only uh, people who agree with me. No, no, no I am. I am agreeing with you. I'm, I'm, making, I'm making an addition. Okay. The, the only people that I hear really that are struggling with the asking price is people who haven't competed. And that's likely because they haven't been exposed to that whole idea of having to pay to compete. So yeah, maybe have a like a word with the people at the gym that are saying that, like, shut the fuck up and just pay for the tournament. It's $100. I already ripped money out of them as it is. Like, do you know how much my privates cost? It's terrible. I don't know what to do with them. No, but thank you for that, Conway. You've, you've probably actually made <sighs> this podcast, like, listenable now. because you've I really actually... think the opposite. That was just me going on a massive rant that's been building up. They got to reference this when they put him in the loony bin, you know. They no. go, this is the moment. No. Right, and Bat Phone Podcast, episode 100. <laughs> Conway lost his shit. It's good, though. We need, we need more of this. We need more real talk. But, yeah, so victim blaming is okay now. Um, 
I never went. Whoa. <laughs> I was talking about people having opportunities to compete, and if you prioritize your money, it's going to be fine. Let's. <laughs> so what you're saying is, if you're in a lower socioeconomic situation, it's your fault. <laughs> no, that's what I'm hearing. No, I definitely am not saying that. I'm saying. Oh, so now you're changing your tune. If there's a will, there's a way, and you know, <laughs> if there's you, a will, there's a way, and you you'll find like a way to do the amount of competitions that's financially responsible for you in that year. You will. and having more options is always better than having less options. Back in the day, we didn't have many options to compete but also back in the day we could buy a house for two dollars fifty so like competitions weren't like that expensive and it's like 150 dollars to enter into one state championships per year versus 150 dollars to enter into like every competition is it is it i'm gonna look that up look it up i feel like he's making numbers up i said 180 before (laughs) like you're making up the whole like people are running around saying I, i know uh a student, I won't name him for his sake, but paid 180 for the, the most recent. Yeah, four divisions. Yeah, four divisions is pretty expensive. <clears throat> so that's to do four divisions. Yeah, don't you do don't four have divisions. to do four divisions. Don't oh, be like, Yeah, the, but... It doesn't... You know what? what? I think what you're saying is correct. Yes. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. But it doesn't mean that what Declan was saying previously is incorrect objectively. Because prices have gone up. It's not... Like, the, these two... Things both exist in the same universe. Prices have gone up, and they have gone up without reason, without necessity. Because there's more competitors now involved in those competitions than there were before. They're not strapped for cash. The fact that these things are becoming less accessible, if you look at it from a socioeconomic perspective, that's also true. But what you're saying is also extremely true. If you are serious about competing, then you will find the way. You'll prioritize well, your I'm life. I'm not even shitting on people for like... Yeah. I'm just saying that there are... You'll prioritize <laughs> you your to... life to reflect your goals. We live in a, we live, we live in a society... That is um, very much like social media focused, social media heavy. A lot of people come on to whatever it is. They're real, they're Instagram, they're whatever. They say they want to do a lot of things and they don't do the thing. Mail they just don't do the thing. Mail D is like $79 Australian to enter it. Like, so that's no, 80 8, 16, and then I'm sure there's a deal if you can do both. Yeah, but you're going to... So what's four divisions? And what... Plus, your, plus your membership. Yeah, plus your membership... Plus your registration, the club rego. You got to register your club. You got to register your black belt. You got to register yourself. You got to register to enter. So that's getting up there, yeah. and then you got to fly there and shit. Yeah, because it's not just that. Yeah, it's not just that entry sucks. Mm-hmm. It's that you it's actually have to pay things. away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh man, but I don't want to say it come way off. So. <laughs> So Conway is still looking up the prices just to shut us the fuck up. We actually, I should probably include a fact checker in the Batphone podcast. Me, Maybe because I'm always fucking right. So you can come to every <laughs> podcast say is and then gospel. everything that we say, you can look it up on Google like young Jamie. I need that because I say some wild shit that isn't true. I think you've got to remember that with podcasts as well. You're in a space where people are going to say things as direct response and answers and it's not all going to be... That correct, but that's how people actually talk. Like, yeah. So a lot of all three perspectives that we've had are based on our feelings towards what's been going on, and it's good that we talk about those things as well because the truth's probably somewhere in the middle. But I think the thing that we can all agree on is whether it's on one side or the other, or the, the processes can be better. If you are a person who's trying to compete, 
and you say you want to compete and you say you want to do these things, you can prioritize it in your life to make it happen. Or you can put yourself in a, in a position where you can reach maybe smaller goals. But on the other side, from the promotional side, promoters can make it more accessible and they can cater to athletes a little bit more. Um, the necessity to cater to themselves isn't necessarily priority. The necessity... What do you want them to do? Drive to the house, pick them up, drive them to the tournament? No, I just want them not to rob them blind. That's all. <laughs> Cartel behavior. I demand higher prices of entry. <laughs> more <laughs> bureaucracy, more red tape. If you don't make six <laughs> figures, Conway doesn't think you should do jiu-jitsu. That's what he's saying. Yeah, you and the Gracies think that. Fuck it out. No, that's good stuff. All right, uh, let's just... I'll stop a segment and I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask Moody one more thing. All right, so the last thing I was going to ask you about, man, and I'll, I'll lead into this. Uh, I was listening to a Simple Man podcast, me and like two other people, um, and it was Damien Anderson talking to Bobby Sandu and they were having like a real conversation about Christianity versus determinism and like the Muslim faith and stuff like this. And I'm like, this probably shouldn't be talked about. It made me think like, what kind of conversations and what kind of shit is going down behind the scenes at B team off the mats that we don't hear about? I'm sure that's the question that everyone wants to ask you. Like, what's the story? Declan, shit on your teammates that you go back to train within like six weeks. Yeah, yeah please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you would. So Tell the behind the scenes things that they don't want to talk about. No, no, no. Everything's recorded in that building anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of times where you have to ask the cameraman to cut that. Um, mm. But no, it's just gym culture, gym banter, you yeah. know. It looks like a lot. E- everyone who opens their mouth is going to get rinsed for whatever they say. It doesn't matter <laughs> who it is or why. Especially if Craig's in the building, he's he's so sharp, you know. He's he's on everyone. And then, I don't know, like, when the Australians are there, we sort of gang up on the Americans a little <laughs> bit, you know. What's the story with Gundel's turtles? He's a genius. <laughs> he's a genius. And, um... He's so funny, man. I, I love that guy. He, I'd be like just walking in and he'd be looking at his phone. He'd just turn around. He's got the live stream of his Galapagos tortoises. <laughs> right. And what he's done is, is he invested for like 20 years down the, down the line when they're like 30, 40 grand. Oh and my he's God. bought in at whatever, you know. And he's invested in turtles. He's invested in Galapagos tortoises. Galapagos tortoises. The next crypto you've heard of. <laughs> it's just a, a longer term investment, you know. Prices on tortoises are going up. Because people were giving him shit about it. And then I think they kind of realized, like, uh, oh, my God, you're going to actually even, make money from even this. Even, like, from where it was when I was there, like, the three three months, the price went up on those tortoises, you know? He's, he's an interesting guy. Like, some of the stories he would tell, I'm, I'm not going to share them because they're his stories. <laughs> they're his stories to tell. Amazing. Great guy. Great. What about Austin, Texas in general? Like, obviously, a lot of people listening to this are just local South Australians. We see all the clips. We see all this and that. But what's it like? My two favorite crackhead stories. Yes, please. Okay, so I was staying in this Airbnb. I ended up moving because I was like, this place is not safe. I ordered Uber Eats. And by the time they had rung my doorbell to me opening the door, a crackhead had run off with my food. And the... Uh, Got to be pretty sensitive with this one, see how what words I choose. I'm walking to the coffee shop and it goes under the bridge near the gym. And if you've been to B Team, you know there's 800 homeless people living under there. And there's a homeless woman across the road and she's yelling at me. I'm like, pretty standard. And then she strips down naked. And I was like, that's weird. She must really like me. And then 
she proceeds to bend over and pleasure herself across the road from me. And it was at that point, <coughs> I was like, I don't need to go to the coffee shop anymore. <laughs> and I just walked back to Dude, the gym. Dude, you get that at Macca's on Heinley Street, bro. <laughs> like, there's one, cl- there's like literally, she's famous now, bro. There's like clips of her on Shit Adelaide and shit. She just sits there gunning herself, <laughs> trying to make eye contact with whoever walks past daily. On, on Hindley Street out the front of Macca's. Well, I've been gone too long. I'll bring this down to a more somber level. Me and Declan witnessed something really sad out the front of our gym the other day. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, so like um, a lady was walking past the gym. I'm like, Declan, look at that. Like, you're something up. Because she was stumbling back and forth to the point where she was barely able to walk in a straight line. But also had a kid with her. Like, I'd say seven, seven years old. Eight, yeah. Yeah, so she was stumbling. And then we were both watching like, wow, like she's really, really... Um, you know, high obviously, and then swings to the right, and like I don't know how she self-corrected. She'd have the best takedown defense in the world because she was about to fall into the road. At the same time, she's about to fall into the road. This blue car drives past. Somehow, she manages not to fall in front of the car. Self-rights herself and keeps walking, but she was honestly centimeters away from just falling into that oncoming traffic with her kid watching, and it was with really, her kid watching. Yeah. Um, oh my god. <clears throat> I'm not. I'm not over exaggerating it. She was on such a bizarre angle. I thought, "Oh my god, we're about to." She watch did something. the Michael Jackson, you know, yeah, the lean. full lean. Um, yeah, it, it was. It was. Oh, were you guys like just watching out the window? Yeah, yeah. training. You know, yeah. when you're like, something bad's going to happen, and you're watching, you're watching and it goes slow motion. Yeah. Like, so for a second, I could see the car coming. I could see the lean. I'm like, oh man, I'm about to watch someone obviously right. get hit by a car. And then I looked, and I was like, her kid's right in front of us. So you're just watching that happen. Like I said, somehow she's self-righted, but yeah, there's, if you go to the multiverse theory, there's a universe out there that, that she didn't. And we had to watch that. It would have been oh, horrific. Man. Yeah. So. I, obviously, you guys know I used to work in the city. I used to work on like one King William. I'd be walking up and down like Rundle Street, Rundle Mall and Heinley Street as I'm like parking or, you know, just on lunch and stuff. I would walk up and down the mall at lunchtime. Since COVID, the epidemic of homeless people in in south australia just got crazy it's like everyone fled the city and then like cool it's open now so they all went into the city and then after they all stayed and then when you get like uh, school holidays kids coming through interacting with homeless people who are there every single day like it's just it's a wash man it's you say you say epidemic but yeah that's five people the, let's, As compared to austin exactly the, the i want to hear people i want to hear one bridge crackhead story number two that's what I'm that, that was the two. That was the the, two. the first one was my Uber Eats, and the second one was the oh, yeah, woman having yeah, a very yeah, good yeah. time. Oh man, that's awesome! But there's yeah. there's thousands of other crackhead stories. You know, like Heist <laughs> and beating that crackhead up. Oh my god! Um, I was just trying to. Can you imagine breaking into <laughs> someone's car and that guy walks out? You're like, well, I rolled the dice wrong today. <laughs> What would you like, sir? Can I please provide you any services for your car? Would you like? <laughs> you start fixing the car. You yeah. have no mechan- mechanical yeah. ability, and you would fix the engine. You know? <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Oh, uh, Conway, anything on uh, the cars for Beachside? Um, everyone keep training hard, doing the competitions, yeah. um, having a fun time. Not right now. I think like. <clears throat> There's only a few more comps this year. We've got, like I said, the Pan Packs. Mm-hmm. There's another M16 Open and Grappling Industries. So there'll be the things that people are jumping into. So yeah, cool. Business awesome. as usual. 
Well, MATLAB's obviously got the Declan Moody seminar coming up. Everyone get down to it. It's open to absolutely every academy, guys. It's 50 bucks on purpose. We want to see you there. Um, we're going to be running a, another eight-week course. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a standing grappling introduction course. We did an introduction to you know, fundamental grappling, similar to what you guys do, uh, and went really well. And we got a lot of people sticking around who had never done any grappling whatsoever, but it's sort of like uh, quite obvious now that an introduction to the standing realm is pretty necessary. So and again, open to people, tell people about it, get involved. Those courses are awesome. An easy way for people to jump into the sport and get like the beginner tuition that they need regarding fundamental techniques mm. to get them solid quickly yeah and then when they save up enough money they can compete for the first time <laughs> <laughs> don't have burritos for three nights in one week you've got, a you've got it about four <laughs> yeah all right guys well look it's been fucking awesome having you guys on episode 100 uh i can't believe we actually made it this far from just being a podcast about trying to talk to people uh and the journey to this point i want to do more things with it like i want as i said you guys um like swingler and tom pira i was also thinking about maybe toby pierce again just having people in that have a great passion for grappling as well maybe i have to change things up get a fact checker i'll get uh i'll get little i know he's listening i'll get guy guy ren if you're listening i'm gonna get you in you're gonna be our young jamie for the bat phone podcast you're gonna fact check everything that we say um and you'll add i'm sure a great dimension to this podcast is very necessary uh in terms of truth and not just us talking shit but look if you've listened this far congratulations declan thanks so much for coming on conway thanks Thanks so much for coming on Guys, we'll be back. Stay tuned. Same bad time, same bad channel for all the bad fans out there.